Well, good morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors uh, again. Uh, and we are continuing this uh, series that we started last week in the book of Acts. Uh, this is our second week. We titled this series, Thy Kingdom Come, God's Mission to the World. Uh, and uh, this whole book, this whole series is about God's acts through His church. It is about Jesus being the one who's carrying out His promise to bring His kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 this morning. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's Word. So if you will, stand. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Uh, let's pray. God, I ask that you would come and fill this place. That you would come and breathe upon this place, upon your word, upon our hearts, upon our minds, that we might be changed because the power of the living God has changed us through your spirit and your word this morning. We pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can have a seat. Well, Mike and Casey Altoff, uh, I don't know if they're here this morning, but they were at our house, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, and uh, for dinner on a Monday night, and we began to talk about how many women in our church are currently pregnant. Uh, how many right now are currently pregnant? And I did not realize that Right now, in the midst of our church, we have at least 10 women who are expecting children in the coming months. Uh, and I can remember not long ago, Rachel being pregnant with our son, Henry. Uh, in the last few months and weeks, they got more and more difficult to wait for his arrival. Uh, the last few days, we were just downright antsy. Uh, Henry was eight days overdue, and I can remember every day thinking, is this the day? Is he going to come today. And the day before he was finally born, Rachel and I did everything we could do in our own power to induce labor. Uh, we, uh, we walked a golf course because there were a lot of hills. We ate spicy food. You name it, we did it. We were ready. Uh, but you learn that the baby's going to come on their own time when they're ready. Uh, and we were tired of waiting. <laughs> we were ready for the birth of our son. Uh, and when I woke up June 19th uh, to get ready for our a morning, uh, morning meeting, and I was getting ready in the upstairs of our house. I hear Rachel uh, say, actually, 
yell from downstairs uh, in some deep tone that I'd never heard my wife <laughs> use. Get down here! <laughs> and, uh, and I knew labor had started. Uh, labor had started. Our son was coming. Uh, he was coming. And when our son was born and new life was added to the Mason family, we were forever changed. Uh, our life will never be the same. Acts 1, verse 4, Jesus tells his disciples to wait. To wait until the Holy Spirit would come. And I'm sure the disciples are thinking, we are ready to go. We are ready for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus says, wait for the Spirit. Now, Acts 1, 12-26, which we did not read this morning, uh, shows us what the followers of Jesus did while they waited on the Spirit. They prayed, they read the Scriptures, and they appointed the twelfth apostle in the replacement of Judas, because Judas betrayed Jesus. And Acts 1, verse 16 says that this was so that the Scriptures would be fulfilled. That the prophecy would be fulfilled. So that the time of salvation would be fulfilled. So listen to this. In, for Israel in the Old Testament, and the disciples who were following Jesus, they were the church in some sense. They were growing in the womb of God. There were contractions, and there was progress, and there was fulfillment of God's promises and fulfillment of God's prophecy, and the womb of God was being filled, fulfilled. And now God was about to give birth to His church. And how would this birth come? The disciples couldn't make it happen. They couldn't demand it to happen. They had to wait and wait. And then the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, and the church was birthed. And the church and the followers of Jesus would never be the same. They would be forever changed. Now the Holy Spirit, the three things we're going to look at this morning, births the church into mission, births the church into a family, and births the church into a life of grace. But before we get into those, I've got to do a little bit of insight into verses 1 through 4. So if you look at verses 1 through 4, uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, it says they were all together in one place. All 120 followers of Jesus were together. They'd been praying. They'd been reading God's Word. They had installed Matthias to replace Judas. And then Pentecost arrives. Now Pentecost, I don't know if this happens to you, but many people think Pentecost, and the first thing that they think Today is Pentecostalism, right? That's a branch of God's church. But this was not the first Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish festival that was celebrated annually 50 days after Passover. Penta means 50. 50 days after Passover. This was an annual feast that they sometimes called the Feast of the Harvest or the Feast of the First Fruits. It was the time that Israel would give thanks to God for the harvest that they were about to reap. Fifty days after Passover was the time that they would reap the harvest of the crops that they had sown and thank God for His provision. So God decides to send the Spirit months after the Passover Lamb of God was slain on the cross. And God sends the Spirit on Pentecost. 
A day in which the church would now be sent out to gather the harvest. Given the Spirit, and God thrust the church out into the world because the harvest is ready. And God sends His Spirit in verse 2, there's this rushing wind that fills the entire house. In verse 3, there's this fire that appears and rested on each one of them. Wind and fire. Now, both of these have been termed as theophanies. Now, theophany is a, a physical manifestation of the presence of the living God. Wind and fire, God being present in these two things. Wind, uh, it, it's the, word, the word for wind in both Hebrew and Greek uh, is also the word that's used for spirit. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, the world was formless and void, and the Spirit hovered, word in Hebrew, the Spirit hovered, and God created life. And God comes to create man, and He blows wind into His nostrils. He creates life. J- John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus to be born again. The wind of God or the Spirit of God must come. It brings life. So God's presence and the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was about God bringing life to His church and to the world. And then there's fire, right? Throughout the Old Testament, fire represents the presence of God. Genesis chapter 17, when God makes a covenant with Abraham, Abraham cuts an animal, tears it in half, and God, through a fiery cauldron, right, is present. He passes through this animal. He is present. As God leads Israel in the wilderness, He leads them by a fiery pillar. Even when Moses received the law on Mount Sinai, Scripture says there was a fiery cloud that was seen. God was present. God's presence in the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was also about God being continually present, now forever with His people. And the wind shook the entire house, and fire rested on every one of them. This was some kind of storm, wind and fire and power. Now, the forecast for this past Wednesday was a winter storm, wasn't it? It was pretty lame. It wasn't much of a storm, right? It was ice, sleet, rain was projected and forecasted. I don't know if you've, have you ever been in a storm uh, where you've seen a tornado or a hurricane. Uh, about 12 years ago, some of you, Uh, About 12 years ago, I was driving with a friend across Kansas, uh, the middle of Kansas, nowhere, USA, right? I mean, nothing but flatlands. And it was calm and it was quiet. uh, And then all of a sudden, we see this twister touch down a few hundred yards from us, uh, a tornado, which has the power to pick up cars, our car, (laughs) and throw us wherever it it would want. And we kind of freaked out. Uh, And we pulled over. We got out of our car, we dove into a ditch, and, and it was scary. But at the same time, it was pretty cool. It was like, I mean, tornadoes are powerful. I mean, they are powerful. Acts 2 is the perfect storm. A rushing wind and fire resting on everyone, and it is the time in which God is unleashing His life-giving spirit and very presence, a powerful force that would change the world. God is blowing His wind, His life, into the lungs of the church. And here the Holy Spirit births the church into mission, into a family, and into a life of grace. So let's look first at the Holy Spirit birthing the church into mission. This is something that I talked about last week and is something that I will talk about 
over and over as we are in this book of Acts because the whole book of Acts is about God's mission to the world. And there are a lot of things that the Bible says that the Spirit does. But the first thing that the Bible tells us that the Spirit does when it comes upon the church is that it launches the church into mission. In verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. In verse 6, those who were gathered began to hear them speak in their own language. The very first thing they did was proclaim the works and the deeds of God to people from every nation. No longer were these disciples uh, concerned about seeing Israel established as this geopolitical global power, as we saw last week. They now were concerned because the Spirit had come upon them that everyone would hear about Jesus and come to believe in Christ. And the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak a language that they did not know so that the gospel, so that the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus would be made known so that the harvest would be reaped. If you've been around Christianity in the church at all, uh, you have been taught in some way how to measure your growth as a Christian. Even if you don't know you do it, you measure your growth as a Christian. Some of us measure our growth as Christians by how moral we are, how good we are. If we do more good than bad. Some of us measure our Christianity by how pious, our piety, which by that I mean how much we pray, how much we read our Bible, how many church activities that we do, right? And, and that's our piety. And these things of morality and piety, they're not bad. They're good things. But Acts 2 shows us how we can know that the Holy Spirit has really come upon us and changed us. We know it when we care more about other people than we care about ourselves. When we want to take the gospel in word and deed to people and to places of need and darkness. We know the Holy Spirit has birthed us into mission when we start thinking about how we spend our money affects God's mission. How where we live is for the sake of of God's mission, about how we raise our children so that we can send them out of our homes for the sake of God's mission. We become people who are, who are not navel-gazing all the time, inwardly introspective, but we are a people who are looking out and moving out towards people in places of need and darkness. I heard Ray Cortez talk about a guy in his church who was a football coach for a youth football league, and, uh, and the coach said that, you know, you know, Ray, there's a lot, there are a lot of kids that want to play football. Uh, a lot of kids that like the thought of football. They like the uniforms. Right? They, they like the thought of people cheering for them. They like to imagine themselves scoring a touchdown. Uh, and the coach said, uh, many children think they're football players. And he said, you know how I know who is ready to play football? The children who love contact. The children who love to hit helmet to helmet pad to pad. When I see a kid who loves to make contact, then I know I have a football player. A lot of people call themselves Christians. And like the thought of Christianity, some good music on a Sunday morning and community, and we get benefits from the church. But you know how you know when someone has been birthed by the Holy Spirit? When they love contact with darkness. 
when they love to take the gospel of Jesus, the healing of Jesus into places of brokenness, when they love rushing into places of need, when they can no longer sit by and do nothing, but they are propelled and compelled to proclaim Jesus in word and deed to all people and in all places. The fire rested on each one of them in Acts chapter 2, verse 3. The very presence of God would now no longer just be with them in a cloud by night or in the temple, but the Holy Spirit would now indwell every follower of Jesus. And the presence of God would go with them as Jesus dwelt within. Which means, church, we trust in Jesus. When we go to love our neighbor, to engage our coworker, to love the city, to spend our time and our money in the city, to go abroad, to fight for justice, we go not by ourselves, but we go as the very presence of Jesus because the Holy Spirit lives within us. And we give people not ourselves, but we give people Jesus. And the wind blew and it filled the house. John 3, 8, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus said to Nicodemus, the wind, the Spirit, blows wherever it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Which means... We are birthed into a mission. And the thing about this mission is that we do not determine the outcome. We can be faithful to make contact with darkness, but the outcome and the results are up to God. Because the Spirit blows wherever and however it wishes, which gives us freedom, doesn't it? Because it's not up to you. And it should give us boldness, because you never know how God might work. And it should give us hope because it's never too early and it's never too late for God to work in a person's life. And it should give us attentiveness because God is always at work. And the question is, are we aware of how He's at work? The second point is that the Spirit birthed the church into a family. Look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And all these people heard the gospel proclaimed in their own language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, on and on and on. One of the first things that the Spirit does to the church is turn the church into a multicultural, multilingual worship service. All of the areas listed in verses 9 through 10 are people from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And what God is doing is drawing people from every nation and turning them into one body, an international family. If you've read Genesis chapter 11, uh, you, may, you may remember the Tower of Babel. Uh, at this point, the whole earth had one language. And they were filled with so much pride that they thought they'd build a tower that reached to the heavens and they would make a great name for themselves. And God comes down and he confuses their language and he disperses them all over the earth to the north, the south, and to the east, and to the west with different languages. And then in Genesis 12, God sends Abram out and he says, through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the nations will be blessed. Well, Acts chapter 2 is now the fulfillment to Abraham. And it is the reversal of Babel. 
Now the church is birthed into a multicultural, multi-class family. Now God is drawing people from every corner back together into one family. There is no longer a single culture, a single people group that dominates the church. The church is now a place where the walls of ethnicity and race and class are torn down. For everyone who believes in Jesus, hear me this when I say this, everyone who believes and trusts in Christ, the predominant characteristic that is true of you, the primary characteristic that is true of you is that you are first a child of God. We are first and foremost Christian. Our primary citizenship is with God. We're not first and foremost American. We are first and foremost Christian. And now we are to love everyone who believes in Christ, to love every person and seek to break down any barrier that would keep us separated. The Prices and the Masons uh, went to Richmond, Virginia about one month ago, and while we were there, I I was reminded about my first trip uh, to Richmond years ago during seminary. And and upon my first trip, we stopped at St. Paul's Episcopal Church. It, It was the church where in the 1850s, uh, 1850s, African-American man walked down the aisle of St. Paul's Episcopal Church, knelt down to take communion, and Robert E. Lee stood up, walked down the aisle, and they knelt together and received communion together. Now, it, sure, it's, it's admirable to some degree that Robert E. Lee would do this. He might get chastised, right? Commander of the Confederacy. But what was way more profound was that this African-American man would willingly kneel with a Confederate Confederate commander. How in the world did that happen? The Holy Spirit. (laughs) The Holy Spirit. How would Martin Luther King Jr., who we celebrate this weekend, be able to lead a movement of justice based on love and not violence, which I would have been prone to do, (laughs) against people who had oppressed his people for 300 years? How in the world? The Holy Spirit. How could Hutu and Tutsi, who warred against one another in Rwanda, years later be able to worship together? How in the world? The Holy Spirit. You know the Holy Spirit has given birth when the church breaks down walls of hostility and any barrier that would keep us separate. The church should be black, white, Asian, Latino, rich, poor, Democrat, Republican, Blue Devil, Tar Heel, those who shop at J. Crew and those who shop at the Salvation Army, those who live in Watts Hillendale and those who live in Northeast Central Durham, those who are artists and those who are engineers. We are to be a people who love each other despite our difference because the main thing about us is that we are first and foremost Christian. The Holy Spirit births the church into a multicultural, multi-class, multi-interest, multi-personality, multi-generational family. Let's look lastly that the Holy Spirit births the church into a life of grace. So this small group of 120 followers are with Jesus. They're birthed and launched into this mission to be this family, and we know that this has been the most powerful movement in history. Few would deny that. After Pentecost, the church would go on to change the world. 
And what did they declare? Verse 11 shows us. We hear them telling in our tongues the mighty works of God. They declared the mighty works of God. That is the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. The mighty act of salvation is what Christ accomplishes. And we'll hear this next week, but that's exactly what Peter preaches in this sermon at Pentecost. It's what he speaks about. And as I mentioned last week, but I need to say this again, because I think there is a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of misapplication when it comes to the Spirit in the church today. When the Holy Spirit comes, it births the church into an understanding about the grace of the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit always shines light upon Jesus Christ. The Spirit never draws attention to itself, but it is sent to glorify the Father and to glorify the Son. At our old house in Woodcroft over by South Point Mall, uh, I installed some flood lighting. Uh, Floodlights are when you stake into the ground and you point them up to shine onto your house. They, they, I, I really love floodlights because I, I think it makes the house look beautiful at night and, uh, and they enable you to see the house in the dark. And the lights themselves, they're out of sight. Right? They, they're on the ground, normally behind plants or bushes, not visible, and they shine light and, to display your house at night. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It shines light upon the work of Jesus. It shines light upon who Christ is and what Christ has accomplished. And you know that Jesus is the very things that that makes Christianity different from every other religion in the world, don't you? You know that. Islam, Buddhism, moralism, relativism, you name it, all say that we need to do something that we must accomplish something in order to achieve whatever might be termed salvation. Christianity is the only thing that teaches and declares that we trust and we rest upon the mighty acts of another. That salvation is in what Christ has done and not upon what we do. So you know that the Spirit has come upon you When you begin to understand that the way someone comes to faith in Christ is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that the way someone continues to grow in Christ is by grace alone, through faith alone, through uh, in Christ alone, through faith alone, whatever. Uh, (laughs) Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh, and, And through that, you know that you've been birthed into a life of grace. You're birthed into a life where we now measure growth upon how much we rely and we depend upon the act of someone else, how much we depend upon Jesus. And one way you can know if you are growing in your dependence on Jesus is to ask, are you growing in your repentance of sin and trust in Him? Are you growing in your repentance of sin and trust in Him? As a pastor, I like to ask this question to people when I get together with them. What sin have you been repenting of lately? It's a hard question a lot of the times. And the reason I like to ask that question is because if you have a hard time answering that question, it may be a sign that you've been living depending on yourself. But if you can answer, then you have probably been living aware of your sin, which means you've been aware of your need for Jesus, And you've been repenting and believing 
in Christ. And if that is true, then we can know that the Spirit is at work. Because the Holy Spirit births the church into a life of grace. I love the end of this passage. In verse 12, it says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But the others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. Some people mocked and said, They're drunk. (laughs) They're drunk. They are crazy. They are out of their minds. Listen to this. Not all people will understand what God does in the church by the Holy Spirit. I'm sure some of you have had this experience, right? Family members, neighbors, co-workers who think you're just a little crazy for believing in this Jesus. Not all will understand. Now, I do know when the Spirit comes, it's not in a predictable, controlled way. It's a perfect storm. It is a perfect storm. And N.T. Wright says, instead of tracking the storm, what is important is that we're caught up in its winds. And some might think we're crazy. But others will say, what does this mean? Others will say, what happened? Others will say, God God is there. Others will marvel. And the question that is a convicting question for us, Christ Central Church, is do people look at us? Do they look at you and ask what happened to them? What happened? Do believers come in our worship and say God is among them? Do non-believers come into our worship and say, I may not believe, but something's going on. I've never experienced that before. I think God might be there. Our worship and our community and our living and our mission should be evangelistic in nature. It should declare to all people that God has done and is doing something in us and through us. Have we been set on fire by the Holy Spirit? Has the Spirit set flame to the truths of God's Word, His mighty acts, His grace in our lives? Has the truth catching fire in our hearts and in our minds turned our lives around? So much so that people ask, what does this mean? What happened? Or even, are they drunk? (laughs) They're crazy. I pray that we would never be the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Lukewarm. Lukewarm. Jesus says he hates those kinds of churches. I pray that we're not tepid, kind of warm, that we're not Christ-central, mild church, right? I, I pray that God would send down his Holy Spirit and catch us on fire that the wind and the breath of God would come in such a way that we are set ablaze and that we carry the presence and the life of God to all people in all places as a unified family that lives upon the very grace of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, I ask that, that you would help us, God, to believe this. And God, not just help us... <laughs> Because, Lord, we want to figure it all out. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is that you, you descend and you fill. And so we ask you to fill us, Holy Spirit, that we might see Jesus, that we might be launched onto mission as a family that loves one another different than the world might love people. 
and that we would rely and trust upon Christ alone. Would you do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.